Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just to give you guys a breakdown of what's going down on podcast number 40 for Toronto Sport Matters, the first quarter is going to be Greg, myself, and Graffin talking about uh, rapper-specific topics. Javon's going to chime in as well. The second quarter is going to be a roundtable discussion with Coach Adil Saibzad out of the Ryerson Rams discussing NBA trending topics. We'll also be joined by myself, Christian Graffin, Greg, and Javon. Jumping to the third quarter, Christian and I will do a little NCAA breakdown, uh, top prospects in the tournament. And we'll end the podcast with an interview with Adil Sahibzada. Greg and Javon will sit down with them and talk about the tournament that went down this weekend. Thank you very much for listening and keep music. 1.2 seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! A little baby black! Gabbage out of here! Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters podcast number 40, the one year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And with me, as always, is Christian Wolfgang Graffin and Gregory, the sport doctor. What's up, T-Dot? The Cypriot assassin, the king of New York City, Yerushadis. <laughs> uh, so a very, very, very interesting week for Raptors basketball. A massive win Friday against the number one team in the Western Conference, the Houston Rockets. The Big win, 108-105. Uh, are we the best team in the NBA? Yes. <laughs> Certainly the best team in the East. Well, we beat the Rockets twice. We're up there. We're top three. Uh, we're not a finished product, though. Those teams are, are finished products. So we're top two, then. We're, we're ahead of Golden State. We or, sorry, we're ma- ahead of uh, Houston, not It's Golden about State. matchups. I think we match up very well against Houston, as we saw these past games. Well, they were up by a t- I mean, the game itself was... I'd say the most thrilling game to watch in a long time. We were up by a ton. We were dominating in the first half. Um, the bench always sort of kept the separation there until the very end of the game when they did manage to come back somehow because yeah. Harden is ridiculously good at shooting. I challenge any Raptors fan to tell me that that wasn't both the signature win of the season and the biggest regular season win in franchise history. Well, uh, with that, we also played the New York Knicks on Sunday. Um, a very impressive victory. Completely dominated the Knicks. A big win, 132-106. to 106. Greg, you were actually at that game in New York City. 
tell us a couple stories about New York because when I think of New York, I think of the Simpsons episode and like, uh, like, do you have anything to wash this down? Only calculage. You know calculage. I mean? uh, so yeah, talk. Mountain Dew or crab juice? Mountain Dew. Oh, I'll take the crab juice. Um, tell me about your trip to New York. Was there any highlights? Gonna fist fight with a cab driver, a pimp? How was well, the look, experience look, in the uh, Madison Square look, Garden? My my opinions of of massively gentrified New York aside, I actually stayed in Brooklyn. It was it was beautiful. Um, Look, the Raptors are in an empire state of mind, Brandon. And I want to tell you what I mean by that by kind of going through a rundown of last week's games. See, I had a re- the real pleasure, a real pleasure in being south of the, of the border. The moment I believe the Raptors have infiltrated the American basketball consciousness. And I say infiltrated because we have to force our way into the media discourse through ravenous play on the back end of this historic season. Okay, now to be fair... I think the catalyst of this moment was actually the nationally televised game in Detroit last week. You remember? I remember because that was the game to me. The debate is over. DeMar, DeMo- DeMar DeRozan, greatest Raptor of all time. He's the GOAT. Well, another player of the week, too. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, but to me, you look at those three last uh, last plays, the improbable fadeaway shot after the pump fake with the, with the clock winding down, the ravenous, ferocious dunk that took a year off Tolliver's career— and then to have the presence of mind to make the right play to the teammate, which was our whole thing coming into this year, are they going to make the right pass? To me, the debate was already getting a little tired, and now it's over. DeMar DeRozan is the growth. But this, I think, carried over into the Houston game. And I said this, I think it's the signature win of the season. It's one of the best regular season Raptors wins I've ever seen. And there's probably some arguments that could that could be made. It's been 23 years, but I think that's the greatest. Well, it was also the most watched Raptors game. And but that's and and that's one of the points for it, right? And it was just history. the manner to which it was played. This is the first time that the Raptors had ever played first place against first place. Now, I actually had the pleasure of watching this in a Brooklyn bar. When I came into the bar, every single TV was an NCAA divisional game. Okay, I spoke to the waitress. You know, worked my charm. She put on one TV for the Raptors-Houston game. Yeah, By the luck. end of that game, half the TVs in the bar were Raptors-Houston because more people actually wanted to watch the game. Following our win, a Houston fan that had been watching from across the bar came and bought me a shot of Hennessy. You know why? It was out of respect. <laughs> okay? Thank you, Raptors. And speaking, speaking of respect, Dwayne Casey. His defensive schemes in that game, right, to, to make the Rockets play in the mid-range, right? Forcing them to play in the, in, in the mid-range. The perimeter defense, even the interior defense, it was masterful. Coach of the year. Like, to me, he's the clear front runner in, co- in the coach of the year race. Is there any discussion, though? Sure. Like, I know we brought up, like, no. Brad Stevens before, but it, it's... No. Yeah. Not a, to me, not at this point. Again, t- t- talking about respect, the man has paid his dues, mm-hmm. right? Brad Stevens will have his time. You know what? Look, if the Raptors flame out, then we'll revisit it. But right now, it's clear-cut to me. But look, about the New York game. See, again, I had the pleasure of actually attending the early afternoon affair in Madison Square Garden, the mecca of North American basketball. And I quickly came to realize, Brandon, the respect that New York fans now have or have developed for the Raptors. As I'm getting my ticket scanned, the MSG employee actually looks down to the floor and sighs. He shakes his head and he goes, the Raptors are going to destroy the Knicks today. He couldn't (laughs) even look me in the eyes when he said it. Right? I next walk into the stadium and I see a sea of red has washed over Madison Square Garden, over a docile, defeated Knicks 
fan base. They were willfully bowing. They couldn't even... I didn't get one person heckling me, and I was the loudest, drunkest motherfucker in that <laughs> stadium. Okay, We are the hegemonic regional powers You also had the, the opportunity to see in-person basketball Jesus himself, Stefan Marbury. Did I? Yeah, he was at the game. They didn't even introduce him on the Jumbotron. <laughs> oh, we, didn't we, even, we just you know want to forget introduced? about the Steph Marbury era. They introduced era in Chris Rock. That I, think was it. I think Sprewell was at that game as well. But this is what I mean by an empire state of mind. We've dominated the Atlantic for years, and now we've expanded our grip of power to the entire East Coast. We are hungry. We are dominant. It's not the Cavs that are the team to beat anymore in the East. It is the Raptors. Hey, Raptors fans travel... I'd say the best, just like the Jays fans, Leafs fans, Toronto fans in general travel so well. And the fact that you said there were just as many Raptors, if not more, than Knicks fans makes me so happy. It was it was insane. Like, and and the thing was, the Knicks fans, they 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 weren't what you would normally think of from Knicks fans, right? Talking smack back, they had nothing to say back. They were happy to be in the game in the first quarter. And one last piece about that game, I actually had the pleasure of sitting behind uh, Nigel Hayes' family. Who, cool. who had just signed a couple uh, solid three point shots? Yeah, man. No, you know. So and, and talking to from Dwayne Casey as well. And you know what? And they 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 seem like great people. I think he's a great fit. Uh, I'm just so impressed. This is now a Raptors fans take a snapshot. This is that. This is the height of the franchise. The enthusiasm is tangible. All right, guys. Moving down the list. So Raptors currently have a three and a half game lead above the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference. Um, conversation kind of could come up should we rest our players I think the big narrative in the league is that our late season success is mainly due to the fact that we have such a deep bench and you know you have a lot of teams especially uh, in the upper echelon with you know I wouldn't say lazy legs but exhausted players and we take advantage of that late season fatigue by having such you know a, a deep bench right um but does it make sense to rest those guys or anyone on the team in general? Or should we just fucking put the goddamn knife through the chest and destroy every single team in Eastern Conference and go for those 60 wins? It's funny because I think that when our if our bench plays as much or more, just kind of like in the Knicks game, we're going to score more points. Like We might destroy teams even worse when we sit our starting unit a little bit more. And if you look at that game against the Knicks, what, we had 136 points. I think Valanchunas led the team with 17 uh, you know they spread the ball around a ton, and down the stretch, I don't think we should we should sit anyone. Lowry went from 37 minutes a game, and now this season he's going to 32 minutes a game. That that's the rest right there. He if looks any, great. He looks healthy. He looks you know. If anything, you just don't want anybody getting injured, like seriously injured. And you know some players' personalities. For instance, Lowry, if he's out there, he's playing as hard as he's going to play. He's not going to take it easy no matter what. So you kind of have to just, if anything, you can't tell them to scale back. You just tell them, you know, like you'd reel back their minutes maybe to 30 minutes a game, but 25 maybe. Okay, so I have a question for you right now. So obviously we're paying heed to the, uh, I guess, the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference. Currently Raptors number one, Celtics two, Pacers about a half game above the Cleveland Cavaliers. Should we try to like, like, kind of like punt that game against the Pacers so we can get that second round matchup against the Indiana Pacers potential second round matchup against the Pacers, or should we just keep you know what I mean like the the ship afloat? I'm I'm not a fan of of punting. I I like winning habits, and I mean, look, the Raptors aren't a finished product, right? Um, they're still working this system. They need to to build positive habits, and again, I. I don't like getting into that whole like oh who are you facing whatever. If you want to beat the if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And you know, I and I understand all roads go through LeBron. Like I see that we're gonna have to play him eventually. I don't really 
think that for us it matters if it's if it's second or 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 third round. It didn't isn't Boston sort of beaten us to the punch in terms of uh, you know punting the whole season? They've now got how many players on the, on the injured reserve right now? Kyrie Irving's not playing. Uh, Marcus Smart went down. Uh, I wonder uh, how much of that is. I mean, circumstantial it's or on purpose because some of those, like Jalen Brown's injury, was was pretty fucking serious when it, he hit the. I, I mean, I was, that was watching bad. that game. It was bad, and it's um, unfortunate. Or at the same time, but it's Irving, just, I'm not sure. Like you know, it's not you know knee soreness or illness, like that kind of shit. Just just gets made up, right? You know, when you bring it back to the beginning of the season. Sorry, by the way, Javon just walked in the room, so this is Javon Begart. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Uh, just to continue thoughts on that. Um, to bring it back to the beginning of the season, when the Celtics lost uh, Brendan Hayward, uh, they're already Gordon. Short. Gordon Hayward. They're already Brendan short. Hayward, old school Washington Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I mean. Sorry, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> but they're already short staffed to begin with. Yeah. Um, and guys had to step up and play roles they weren't accustomed to playing um, with that extra minutes that maybe they weren't foreseen to be uh, using and stuff that minutes that they weren't used to playing in previous seasons. So I think as the season progressed, you know. Maybe it wore on them. Might have, it wore on them. Fatigue set in, and a guy like Jalen Brown, when he goes up for that dunk, maybe if he had less minutes, he had, you know, not to say that he wasn't aware of what he was doing, but maybe the fatigue kicked in, and that might have played a part in that mm-hmm. injury. He might have had, like, when you look at that dunk compared to the dunk that DeRozan had on on Tolliver, right? It could have been the exact same situation, but DeRozan ha- hasn't been playing a lot of minutes, especially for a second-year player as well. You know, you can see of Jason Tatum, you know, how hot he started the season off, and how much he's regressed in the second half of the season as well. Exactly. And I felt like also for the Celtics, like a lot of shots that they were making uh, at the beginning of the year, especially like the end of game shots. I remember there was one game they had against Indiana where, yeah. you know, there was a very fluky win they had. That was going to balance itself out, right? Exactly. And, and we're seeing that right now. So The only problem, I guess, just to go back to the original question, is that the, some of the teams at the top of the, the standings in the Eastern Conference are the ones that don't really scare me. It's the ones, like right now, our path the championship would be the Heat in the first round, the Cavs in the second round, the Celtics in the in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then Golden State or Houston. Like that's tough. Like that's not easy. Miami plays us really tough every single time. Uh, obviously, the Celtics in the finals. Like I don't know. It's not. I'm not saying we should obviously lose games or, or look to rest players and, and try to go down in the standings. If anything, we kind of just have to hope Cleveland passes Indiana Pacers, which I think will happen. I think the Raptors just got to get better. They just got to keep working at their craft. Agreed. They just got to, you know, keep yeah. ironing out the kinks. Um, DeLon Wright came back to the rotation the last game, and he looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. JV's playing basketball that we haven't seen. He's playing in the fourth quarter way more than he ever did last year. He, and 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 he played those minutes against the Rockets. Yeah. This is the team where where we imagine, like, oh, like, JV can't be on in those he's minutes. A, he's a dinosaur now. Yeah, but he made it with the exception of, I think, one kind of kind of turnover when he's overthinking it a bit. Yeah. Right? And that's just, I think, about comfort, too. The more he plays, the more he'll be better. He made great plays. Yeah, no, for sure. And I remember there was one situation where uh, there was a foul that wasn't called, and he looked at the ref, and he, he could have complained, but instead he put his head down, and he sprinted back to get back on defense as fast as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, just the fact that you know, he had the mindset to just get back on defense and sprint as hard as possible. And the fact that he could get there and the amount of time that he did, which wasn't a lot, it speaks volume to the amount of work he put in the offseason. All right, guys, we'll be back in one second. This is uh, music by friend of the podcast, Malad Makimoto. Catch him on SoundCloud. He's actually the guy who made the beat for our opening intro song. Um, and here's Maki. Enjoy. Yeah, we used to be like a piece of artwork under the willow tree. I remember all the things that you would do to me. You and me was the reason for my poetry. Alrighty, we are back. 
the second quarter. We're going to talk about some trending NBA news. Uh, we are joined with Adil Sahibzada, assistant coach of the Ryerson Rams, who will be joining us in the fourth quarter, talking about, uh, about I guess, U-Sport? A very successful U-Sport campaign. There we go. We're also joined by the man himself, Javon Bigart. Hey, guys. What's going on? Also, the usual suspects, Greg Yeroshadis and Christian Graffin. And you all know me. I'm Brandon Kajoka. All right, so let's uh, start from the top. So uh, I guess, like, within the last, like, decade of basketball, probably last two decades, there have been a couple certainties. And number one is that the San Antonio Spurs will be making the playoffs, led by arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time, Greg Popovich, behind the backs of players like David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and now Kawhi Leonard. Unfortunately, Kawhi Leonard is not playing. We've gone through the conversation multiple times. What's happened with Kawhi is essentially he has said that he doesn't comfortable coming back from injury. Spurs doctors obviously say something different. Question for you guys, with the Spurs kind of currently out of the playoff picture, does it make sense to even bring Kawhi back right now? Or does it make more sense to give more reps to young guys like Kyle Anderson, DeJounte Murray, Forbes, Bertrams, etc.? I'm going to throw it over to Christian Graffin. Uh, I think that you know, I know Greg already is going to, I can tell from the look on his face that he's going to talk about how this is all a strategy for Popovich. And, but I honestly am not in that boat. Uh, I kind of called it a little while ago in our Facebook chat that the Spurs aren't going to make the playoffs. I put their schedule together because honestly, their schedule is just so hard down the stretch. They just faced three teams on the road, OKC, Golden State, and Houston. And honestly, I think, yeah, Brandon, I think that's a fair question. I think they should be sitting players sort of, uh, or sorry, not bringing back Kawhi, I think kind of conceding the season as much as possible and just to developing, I guess. Well, the Spurs are kind of notorious for high, fighting those sort of like hate, hate, late first round gems. Um, who would you like to see more of? Like, who do you think on the Spurs roster, Greg, can sort of usher in the new generation of Spurs basketball? Let's say? There's no new generation. There's no new generation needed. Kawhi Leonard is going to be back. They're going to ring out a high percentage of their games. And they're going to compete in the playoffs. They're going to face really, Golden State or Houston re- in the first round. Yeah, let them face them. They're going to have a healthy, rested Kawhi. He's not and healthy. the rest of their... I, I re- look, if he's been resting this whole season with an injury the doctors have cleared him to play on, right? He's got to be somewhat healthy. And in fact, you might just get the spryest, most active Kawhi you will ever see. On top of that, you've got Aldridge playing the best that he's played in years. And surrounding him is, again, well-rested vest- well veterans. I And look, they're only a couple games out of third place. Well, we can speculate as much <laughs> as we want right now. Let's throw it to a deal because you're an actual coach. You play with actual, you know, professional, amateur professional players. What do the Spurs do in this situation, in your opinion? The Spurs, uh, you know, they have a, it's a historic program. Um, you know, if I'm Greg Popovich, I'm going to try to make it to the playoffs. You know, you know, they're always chasing excellence um, and they're a playoff team, you know, Coach Pops are known to make great adjustments. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure for any team playing the Spurs first round. You know, it's bad news for them. Golden State will be fine. Yeah. Well, you say that, but who was up on them last year, right before that Leonard injury, which I think might be some of the rationale behind the overresting of him. Sorry, Jovan, I cut you off. So I got a quick question for you, Jovan, though. So let's yeah, yeah. say let's say next season coming into a brand spanking new season, starting off from game one. Um, with the current roster the Spurs have, let's say Kawhi does return, at their best, are they even realistically a threat to the Golden State Warriors or Houston Rockets this time? Especially you know, with Marcus Aldridge getting older, with like you know, Paul Gasol sort of coming to the, the end of his career. Yeah. Um, what do the Spurs 
gain from playing Kawhi Leonard, and can they carry some sort of momentum in the next season? Like, what's what's the factors kind of coming as to why you should or would want to play Kawhi? Well, ultimately, he hasn't played in a long time, and you want to give him some time on the court. You know, you don't want him to be foreign to the game. And right now, it's been so long since he played. Who knows if he's still the same player he was when he left? Who knows if these injuries are actually taking a toll on what he brings to the table? Agreed. Um, I think that it's essential for the Spurs to find some way to play Kawhi before the end of the year. He needs it. The Spurs need it. And I think ultimately will silence all the critics and all the questions that are surrounding the team right now. Uh, these things aren't healthy for the team. They're not healthy for uh, the culture of the Spurs. Um, this is something that's foreign to them. Uh, they come from uh, a background where you have guys like uh, David Robertson, David Robinson, uh, Tim Duncan, mm-hmm. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, all these guys who, who step in and play that team basketball, uh, that socialism basketball, so to say. <laughs> you know, these guys don't care who's scoring the ball. They don't Union care basketball. who's dominating. They don't care who's winning championships. Or sorry, they do care who's winning championships, but they don't care uh, who's doing what as long as they're winning championships. And Kawhi was essential in that in 2015 when they knocked off the uh, Miami Heat uh, with LeBron James. So, you know, in order to maintain that, uh, culture that they've had for the past two decades and you know just avoid letting this hiccup turn into something more uh, it's essential for Kawhi to play at some point and hopefully for the remainder of the season well with the Spurs kind of developed reputation like I said before is you know finding those sort of like late gems in the first round you know obviously DeJounte Murray and Kyle Anderson are attached to this we've also seen White come out of Colorado this year and play some pretty stellar minutes within the last week or so Bertans, exactly. Um, Christian, what do you think about the Spurs? I wouldn't necessarily use the word tanking, but let's say not make an effort to win as many games as possible to close out the season. Could they find that sort of like, you know, 10 to 15 gem in the draft that they could kind of semi-build their team around? Well, look, you mentioned all these great players that they they can find at the end of drafts. I think clearly they have a very good scouting sort of department. They seem to get a good player no matter where they are. However, the last time they had the 15th pick, they did a sign-and-trade, and they got Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. So, of anything, yeah. The better the pick, the better the player the Spurs are going to get. And honestly, at this point, with the age of someone like Gasol, I think they need a big man to sort of pair with LaMarcus Aldridge because Kawhi Leonard is such a good small four. He could play sort of anywhere. Yeah, maybe and then, like Wendell Carter if he drops. Exactly. And, and you, know, you know, that's perfect for them. I don't even think it's just about uh, the Spurs scouting department. I think it has more to do with the Spurs developmental department because they're drafting guys late in the round. Uh, late in the NBA uh, draft but they're not just drafting guys and saying okay whatever you have is whatever we need no they're taking these guys they're developing them they're uh, acclimating them to the culture what they do how how business is ran in San Antonio mm-hmm. and then these guys are fit into certain roles on the team it seems like how it is you know what I mean like you see you ride the pine for a couple of years and exactly. you sort of acclimate to the culture of the San Antonio exactly. Spurs and then it, like, I get Popovich discerns that that guy's like, ready or which, not which to player, play selfless basketball which know, restricted pl- mitts as well exactly which player besides Tim Duncan and David Robinson that I mentioned earlier in the pod actually stepped in their first year and were that guy that superstar mm-hmm. guy for the Spurs Tony Parker wasn't that guy. Manu, Manu Ginobili, Ginobili was a second-round guy. Kawhi Leonard averaged like seven points his first year, mm-hmm. but then he's winning defensive players, finals MVP. Like none of these guys are perennial guys who coming out the draft are like, oh, these guys are phenomenal. They're gonna they're gonna take over. They've been grown organically. They've been they've been grown and groomed. Talk about a struggling team in the NBA. Uh, let's flip the script a bit. I think coming into the season, Western Conference, you know, based on the fact that you know Minnesota got Jimmy Butler, you know, the OKC Thunder brought in Paul George and Kamal Anthony into the fold. Even the Houston Rockets bring brought in Chris Paul. The Portland Trailblazers, one of those teams that kind of fell under the radar. Um, 
but they're currently on a 10-game win streak, currently sitting in third place at 41-26 in the Western Conference. Um, many things are going right for them. Damian Lillard's putting on an MVP caliber season. Um, also, Josef Nurchik has looked incredible, putting up a 27-16 stat line the other day. What are your thoughts on this team? Do they have any? Are they any threat toward Houston or Golden State, or is it just another team that's sort of just below that first upper tier? You know, on paper, those elite teams, the Houston, the Golden State, they're definitely better than uh, the Trailblazers. But at the same time, you still got to play the games. And every team has a bottom and every team has a peak. And right now, I feel like, you know, the Portland Trailblazers are peaking at the right time heading into the playoffs. They're playing way better than their individual pieces and ultimately it's on them to just keep it up you know and that's the hardest part because there's going to be some regression Damian Lillard isn't going to play this good for you know the next 25 games if they make it to the playoffs um, he might have games where he, he takes steps back and the same goes for everybody else on the on the roster when you look at a guy like Nurture it's 26 and 17 like that's not going to happen every game um, you know so ultimately I think they're playing they're peaking right now. They're playing the best basketball they've played all season. And the onus is on them to maintain and try and play through the roof. Obviously, they found something, and they just got to keep it up. Yeah, that that big man there, Nurkic, they were really strong last year when they first got him. Remember, they went on that big winning streak? Yeah. And this year, he seems to have fallen out of step with the team. And, and maybe, you know, his recent play of late. Because I don't see those two players, you know, they're similar to, to Lowry and DeRozan. But the difference is Lowry and DeRozan have a much better supporting cast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Portland has has a whole lot of players that they overpaid. And I just don't think those two alone... Uh, like, I don't see the Trailblazers as being better in the playoffs than the Thunder. I don't see them as being better than the Spurs. I don't see them as being better than the Timberwolves, right? Now, the Pelicans, if they had DeMarcus Cousins, I think are still better. I, I see them as like a 6-8 to eight playoff seed, very close to a Jazz and the Clippers and the Nuggets. See, to me, I think Nurkic is such an important part of the team. Yeah. That He's going, it's different. It's interesting this summer. Like, Brandon, what do you think? Should they be offering him a contract or is someone like Zach Collins, you know, showing you enough that they can move forward with him? See, like, I love Zach Collins and he struggled so much in the first half of the season. Um, you know, especially rookie coming off the bench at Gonzaga. Couldn't really acclimate to the speed of the professional game. But what we're seeing right now is, like, what you want out of a center in the modern-day game. It's a guy that's capable of blocking the shot, you know, play really stellar low post defense, but it can also drain the three-pointer. Those players like that are a dime a dozen. Like, Nurchik is a great basketball player. He's a great low post player. He's a physical brute. He's a decent rebounder. But I think, like what Greg was mentioning, the team is so stuck at the salary cap wall where it doesn't make any sense to re-sign a guy like Nurchik when you already have an evolving commodity in Zach Collins. But it would add to their depth, though. And when I look at a team like the Raptors, yeah, you, you know, you got to look like like the villain Evan Turner is making like eighteen million dollars a year. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you got Mike Harkless at ten, you got like Myers Leonard like eleven. You know, like the, they're really stuck at the wall. They it's just a lot unfortunate of really when you yeah. free agent signings. I think Neil O'Shea really shit the bed with this one, but you know, this is an opportunity to sort of get out of salary cap hell and give himself an opportunity to sign somebody who would be more beneficial to play alongside McCollum and Lillard other than Nurchik and put Collins at the center. Like, sign that sort of, like, go-to 3 and D option at the wing position. Yeah, Jovan, yes or no? $20 million is what he's asking for. If you're Portland, are you giving it to him? 20? 20 million. If I could free up some cap space, get rid of some of the bad contracts, I'll give it to him. And it depends because you need, you, need, you, need that, right? you need that front, uh, uh, that front court anchor. 
If he plays well in the playoffs, especially, I think this is his trial run. Exactly. Graf, I got a question for you. Like, do you think? Do you honestly think Nurchik is that much better than a guy like, let's say, Jonas Valanciunas? Uh, no. But again, it's such a system fit for them that. Again, like, would you it's, pay it's Jonas similar Valanciunas twenty million dollars a year? Right? We, a guy we pay that, him eighteen, don't we? Seventeen. Exactly. The, hey, the man you know involved. I mean? Like we've had this conversation how many times the value mm-hmm. of that you know that, that contract. We're not we're not disputing how good Valanciunas is. I'm just saying you know when it comes to salary cap restraints, does it make sense to have a you know seven foot center who realistically probably only played 20, 25 minutes in the playoffs making twenty million dollars a year? I mean, he's a better defender. Yeah, I, I, w- I just wouldn't sign Nurkic to longer than a two-year contract because at least that way you have time to evaluate him. You still have this playoff push, and also you can develop Zach Collins with somebody good that he can sort of mentor off of, and then in three years he can take over. What do you think, deal? Do you think Damian Lillard has pushed himself in the MVP conversation this year, especially on a 10-game win streak and being like that you know go-to guy every single night? I know C.J. McCollum's there. That team runs through Damian Lillard. Dame time. So Damian Lillard didn't make the All-Star game this year. Um, I think that plays a huge, crucial factor in, you know, having that chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, as as remarkable of a season he's having, you know, I want to look around the NBA. You know, I look at, you know, first at home, I look at um, a guy like DeMar DeRozan. Hell yeah. You know, I'm Evil. not, you know, for me, the question Bro. is more simply, is he more worthy of an MVP over DeMar DeRozan? And I, to be honest with you, I don't think so. I think DeMar DeRozan has been evolving his game year in, year out. Um, he's adding different elements to his game. He's, you know, putting Raptors on his back night in, night out, hitting big-time shots. Uh, Damian Lillard is doing the same, but um, I think DeMar has an edge on him. And I also think um, a guy like um, James Harden has an edge on him, right? Uh, but he's definitely, but he's definitely, but he's definitely arrived in MVP conversations right now. He's definitely, definitely. there. I, I think he's definitely probably top ten. Um, I would even say top five. Top five? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like, like, what's the criterion for discerning who the MVP is? A deal. Like, what do you think the category should be specifically? Because we, you know, a lot of people are about you know you got to be a top three team in the NBA. You know, like how like, uh, other people are like, I think well, definitely. who's the most viable player of a team? If you took him off this team, would they still be a playoff contender? Other people's stats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, those are all real questions for me. Like an MVP is, you know, his impact on the game, like his impact when he's on the floor. Sometimes teams play just as well when they're not, when he's not there. Um, but that doesn't mean like the player is playing any less. You know, his impact on the culture, his impact when he's there and he's not there. Um, you know, his leadership ability, his intangibles, like the what is his plus minus when he's on the floor. Um, you know, how does the offense flow when he's on the floor? Like, how do teams adjust? Like, a guy like DeMar DeRozan, a guy like LeBron, teams have to adjust over and over again, you know, adjust their game plans. Um, you know, it, you know, to me, that's probably more important than just, like, wins and losses. So it's settled. It's LeBron. <laughs> I said it. You heard it here first. I said it last week. So Coach Adil Saibzada of the Ryerson and Rams agrees. <laughs> All right, guys, moving to the last segment of the NBA news. Um, like maybe some sort of um, observational upside for Milwaukee Bucks, I guess I'll call it. Brennan Jennings played a fantastic game last night. Uh, his first game back 
from China. From China, 24 minutes, put up 16 points, eight rebounds, 12 assists. I guess the question I have for you guys is that if we do match up with the Milwaukee Bucks, does a guy like Brennan Jennings cause any concern, especially coming off the bench in the playoffs? Have you seen Fred Van Fleet guard uh, Chris Paul? And that's what I wanted to hear, <laughs> No issue posed whatsoever. Brennan Jennings is probably one of the most streakiest basketball players on the face of the earth. He'll light you up for 50 points in his second NBA game and then average... Two points in his fifth a, season and, and then Ross gone. Syndrome, right? yeah. He's like Lou Williams, just not as good. I yeah. like I love Brendan Jennings coming out. He was like out of You've yeah. always loved Jennings. Because he was the only like the one of the first guys who like F the NCAA. Yeah, he just went straight to Europe. The real one. And then he came in and heat checked that fifty point game, right? Hey, two, two rebounds away from a triple double though. That's kinda in one in his first game. That's scary. But he's a, he's a streaky player. Like I I mean this being his first game back in the NBA this year, I think that Teams have to adjust to him, and since they haven't done that yet, they haven't had the chance, uh, he's just going to dominate. But once the team adjusts to him, and he actually faces a defense that is going to play him hard, I don't well, see well, him. He fell off so hard, right? He had to go to Washington, and then they waived him. I, I think he just has grown up I a bit I think he had now. an Achilles injury or some sort of catastrophic leg injury. I'm not quite sure what it was. He's developed an old man game. But no, man, he he's not going to tip the scales against us. Like you said, Fred Van Vee will eat him up. Lockdown. All right, guys, uh, we'll be back. Uh, Christian and I are going to go over, uh, I guess, some top prospects currently playing in the NCAA tournament, as well as redoing our top five. We're going to change this up every month because uh, we're flipping you guys suck. like that. Uh, you guys I suck. Big, big shout out to uh, the next musician coming up. This is uh, Phil Jackson. He's an amazing Toronto-based musician. Check v? out his SoundCloud. Uh, he, it's, it's called The Uptown. Um, this is a track from the EP itself. Uh, we back in a second. This is for the vine mills, rice copping snitches. Take a hot dog bun to this Used shit. Used to chase coins on the back of a Cooper. Used to chase coins on the back of a Cooper. Used to chase coins on the back of a Cooper. Now I'm hitting chickens from the back like a loofah. Rappers act like it's all good candy camera. To the poor come and brandish hammers. Alrighty, folks, we are back. Um, we'll be joined later by assistant coach of the Ryerson Rams, Adil Sahibzada. I thought this would be an excellent opportunity to sit down and talk about the 2018 NCAA. Um, obviously, we don't know every single team in the bracket. Like, I'm not really fluent in Limscom or like UNC Greensboro or whatever. So, um, <laughs> And I don't want to pull up, like, like I think I've had this conversation. It'd be purely based on, like, me reading the stat sheet and saying, like, oh, this guy's averaging 22 points per game and five assists, so he might be okay in the tournament. No, like, I want to actually stick to my wheelhouse. So if you're not picking a winner, who's your favorite team? Syracuse. Syracuse School of Journalism. I, I, I always go for Syracuse ever since Camarillo, so uh, I guess they will be my team this year. And for me, it's Kansas, number one seed. Uh, they've always been my team, ever since uh, Mr. Mario Chalmers Mr. Mario killed Chalmers. it there uh, back in the day. Okay, so um, I think we're going to kind of intertwine NBA narratives within the tournament itself. Um, we're going to start it off quickly sort of adjusting our top five mock draft. A lot has happened within the last couple weeks or so, especially with the performance of guys like Trey Young. So um, based on the standings right now, we kind of compile a top five of where we think the draft will kind of formulate. Um, so we'll start off with number one, Vancouver, sorry, Vancouver, Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies going number one. Graffin, who do you got? Marvin Bagley? I do. I do have Marvin Bagley going there. I mean, the, the Grizzlies roster is a complete mess. They've lost 18 games in a row. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, if I'm the GM right now of the Grizzlies, I'm probably watching the tournament more than I'm watching the games of the Grizzlies. Uh, they've tanked their way all the way to the bottom, and I don't think... 
at this point, the number one pick, there's really no bad choice, and I don't think you're really looking specifically for a fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Bagley's been my number one sort of all year long, and I don't think with, with who they have there right now, I guess, it would be either Aiton or Doncic in my adjusted, I guess, top mm-hmm. three mock draft. And any of the three of them would sort of fit in that system. I just like Bagley the most because he could play with Pau Gasol a little bit better with a power forward. Mm-hmm. You could sort of stretch that out a little bit more. He'd learn a lot from certain players on the team. And I think it'd get the most opportunity for him to get the most minutes and the most, you know, reps. How no, absolutely. That's a great point. Like, I think we were talking about Marvin Bagley and myself personally. It's all about fit for him, um, especially on a team that's in no rush to sort of get their shit together, and he can kind of learn through his lumps in the season. Um, that's not a bad selection. I'm still going Luka Doncic, number one, only for the fact that he's a point forward, a guy that you don't necessarily need to, like, create your team around, a guy that can, like, facilitate the offense immediately. Um, you know, like, like Gasol and Bagley, or even Gasol or Aiden would be an interesting front court. I think defensively, he might have some sort of challenge. Challenges. That's that's the issue I have with speed in yeah. the front court, but I go Doncic just because like he he's a guy that like if he's the first guy coming into a rebuild, he's an excellent guy to build around. Um, going number two, the Phoenix Suns. Um, you already have like really good perimeter guys like Josh Jackson and Devin Booker. Like obviously you don't have a, like a number one point guard and Trey Young or Colin Sexton do come to mind as like a good pick for the Suns, but not at number two, especially with value. So obviously it's gonna be DeAndre Ayton. I have fully agree with you. Um, the Suns need a big man. I think they've been trying to get them in the draft for a long time now mm-hmm. with like Alex Len and all these different players they've been sort of experimenting with. DeAndre Ayton would be he is NBA ready. We well, have like a front court of like DeAndre Ayton and like Dragon Bender. You know, like having like a kind of a That's such you know, a like more good of a, a perimeter three point yep. shooting guy like Dragon Bender with you know a physically imposing center like DeAndre Ayton. Does make sense on paper. Doesn't he look like Shaq, like in his college days? Like he's so a he's so strong, mm-hmm. but he's got a seven five wingspan, and he's smart. Like he's intelligent with the basketball. He he's actually a, a cog in the wheel of Arizona's system, but he does such a good job. Well, there, like Aiden's the kind of guy like I can justify players coming out of high school, like being drafted out of high school. Like the guy was like physically molded at sixteen. Like the guy could be playing in the NBA at sixteen. Um, he's clearly the best player in the tournament this year and it'll be interesting to see if he does become a lock for number one especially toward the end of the tournament itself uh number three i got marvin bagley going to the hawks i thought this for a while especially the fit with collins at center i just think bagley is gonna be such a nice compliment to him like it's that really like sort of traditional low post player in collins and then you get like bagley who could develop around the perimeter like i think it's just a really excellent opportunity for bagley to kind of like like have like a really nurturing environment to evolve like we're talking about the number one pick of the Grizzlies you know like it's a place where there's no rush to you know like you know get their shit together like I said before like I just think Bagley Collins you have Torian Prince as well Schroeder's still a young point guard it makes sense to me for Bagley to go to See, the Atlanta Hawks for me you mentioned one word there about like in your what they need I guess the Hawks and I think it's perimeter sort of and that's why I've Luka Doncic going to the Hawks. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they're lucky enough for him to slide down to the three spot, because who, who knows what's going to happen? It, right now it's kind of up in the air. But for me, he would be sort of the perfect sort of fit in with the Hawks. you got Schroeder already there. Mm-hmm. He could, he can honestly play three different positions, Luka Doncic. Like Torian Prince there. They can play off each other. Like Torian Prince can kind of evolve in that lockdown defender. Defensive offense. Like allow Doncic to free exactly. wheel in the offense. Because for me, that's the one na- sort of knock on his game is his defense. Right now, Luka Doncic, I don't think his, uh, you know, is agility is, is is the highest right mm-hmm. now like that's his one weakness i think most people say anyways mm-hmm. other than that he's an offensive beast and again he'd get a lot of minutes in this hawk system they're so young and they're not winning anytime soon you gotta go at number four magic 
So I have Michael Porter Jr. going to the Magic. Mm -hmm. And again, based off of Darren Fox and honestly, the fact that they had... They have a lot of older guys on their roster. They're going to revamp the entire thing next year. But right now, Michael Porter Jr. at number four... I think he's got the most potential to almost be sort of a superstar. Well, it's like finding a guy you can compliment Jonathan Isaac because, like, regards to the draft of four, I think Jonathan Isaac is like the player that they kind of want to build around. I like Porter. I like the idea of Porter playing there. I just don't think he's a top five value. You know, like against Georgia, his first game back, you know, five for 17, 12 points. You know, and he was saying about like, like I'm at 65% or something, but, you know, like. Like the guy, like the doc, all the doctors were saying that the guy's at 100, percent and him to come back and like have this like really shitty five, like he has to have a great tournament to be a top five pick. Um, my number four is still Jaron Jackson, Jr. Um, I like Jaron Jackson, eh? Not much. Just as, like just as a defensive player, like his athleticism, his size, his shot, like blocking ability. That's seven foot four wingspan. Um, you know, like again, he's not the most polished offensive player in the draft, but he's the best all-around player in the draft, in my opinion. Um, and I just think he'd complement Jonathan Isaac really well. Uh, I'm not quite sure where they're going in the future. I know Vujovic's been a guy they've been trying to trade for a while. Biombo's on a starter, and I like Jaron Jackson Jr. playing for the Magic as a center, growing up alongside Jonathan Isaac or playing alongside Jonathan Isaac rather. Yeah, the Magic are interesting. I mean, so going down to Cleveland though, mm-hmm. this is the tough one for me because I have to assume LeBron's going to leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not guaranteed, but if he's gone, what is Cleveland going to look for? And they have Kevin Love, so uh, you kind of would think they're going to aim high. I can see them reaching for someone like like Trey Young, mm-hmm. even though he's fallen so far down in the draft. At the same time, they might play it safe and just go Bomba. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say Bomba at number five if it's Cleveland. Like, obviously, the speculation, like, it could be Sacramento or Dallas at the fifth position. We're just saying Cleveland right now because it's more of an interesting conversation to have. I like Bomba there because, again, like you're mentioning, LeBron James will leave Cleveland. And if you're starting from scratch and trying to establish your foundation as an organization, it's always good to start off as a center. You know, getting a really good, you know, rim protecting center, an athletic, you know, what, seven foot tall, um, you know, what, four and a half blocks for game you know he's a great guy to compliment the other players on the court um and that's if lebron james leaves like if lebron james stays like i'm not quite sure how they can sort of navigate the verbal dialogue as to discerning if he's gonna stay or not but if he does like i think trey young or colin sex would be a better selection it's funny because i think he's one of those play now that you mention it i think he's a player you take regardless if if they need a center mm-hmm. i find tristan thompson's not playing well mm-hmm. larry nance jr's not big enough i mean i know they go with a smaller lineup down the stretch but this would almost force them to not have to do that and if we're going to go matchups against teams in the east look at teams like like the raptors like valentunas for instance he could dominate uh, down low there and if you have someone like bomba to stop that it's and get rebounds mm-hmm. I don't know. It might just be the, sort of what Cleveland needs. But just the ability to have like a very fluid, sort of quick center is a huge thing to have in the NBA, especially nowadays. And Bomba sort of fits that mold. Um, if like if LeBron stayed in Cleveland, let's say like Cleveland dropped like six or seven from the Brooklyn pick, like I don't mind them taking like Miles Bridges or even like Mike, Mikhail Bridges as well. Like those guys. Like the thing with them is that they're not going to be like number one options, like stars, but they're complementary right. pieces. Like they're third, fourth best guys on the court, like within the mold of like a Trevor Ariza. And if like LeBron comes back, these are guys from like day one that can contribute, not even as like rotation players, but as potential starters. Um, I like Miles a bit more, only for the fact that he kind of fits that prototypical Otto Porter S three and D mold. Um, but Bamba definitely, if there if it falls at five, LeBron leaves. Bamba obviously is the, the most logical pick. Well, it's funny. 
because now obviously we're going into the March Madness tournament. Uh, there are some teams that have these superstar players, and I think a team like, for instance, Villanova is going to go really deep. Mm-hmm. And you know, because of that, someone like Mikael Bridges' draft stock is going to go a lot higher. We saw last year when Lonzo Ball and Darren Fox faced each other. Miles, or sorry, uh, sorry, Miles Bridges. Yeah, Miles Bridges. Sorry, but uh, we saw last year when Ball and um, Fox went against each other mm-hmm. in the Elite Eight. It was it was a great game. Both of their player stocks basically rose because of that game alone. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I can see the tournament being really beneficial for certain players even Duke if they manage to go on a run Wendell Clark Jr. Marvin Bagley can almost solidify number one do, do you think that matters the tournament like do you think this is a place where they can actually jump spots yeah absolutely um, especially for like Michael Porter Jr. you know a guy that just played one game coming back you know, from a catastrophic back injury the guy has to play himself in the top five this year you know, Michael Porter could be a top three guy depending on how well he plays in the tournament. And like I mentioned, Miles Bridges. Like, Miles Bridges is another guy that I think could be in the top five conversation by the end of the draft, or sorry, end of the tournament itself. You know, like, he's the kind of guy that, like, like Brunston sort of, like, runs the offense on that team. Like, he doesn't really sort of take the bull by the horns and realize his complete upside. Like, he's the best player on the court most nights, but he has this very sort of passive demeanor when it comes to just dominating games. And if Bridges, like, really shows up to every single mm-hmm. game, and again, if Villanova goes far, I wouldn't be surprised if he was picked in the top five. Well, Colin Sexton's another one of those players because we've seen it from him in every big game so far that he's played. Mm-hmm. He seemingly does something that wows every single person in the crowd. It gets on SportsCenter. Uh, whether it be a game, you know, winning basket at the end or playing with three players, he's an exciting player to watch. And I think people, even though Alabama is not, you know, slated to go that far in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I do think he's one of those players that's going to be he could easily have his draft stock. Well, look at his last three games. You know, like against Arlington, put up 29. You know, against Alabama A&M, he put 25 up. Against Limscombe, the team in the tournament this year, he put up 22 off 7 or 10 field goal percent. Like, He's not three for five from three point. Like he, it's very Akemba Walker esque when he played for Connecticut. Like this high riser, you know. Like especially late in the season, coming into the tournament itself, you know, many mock drafts actually have Colin Sexton above Trey Young right now. Like Trey Young's really fell at the face of the earth. My concern with him is just the physicality of the professional game. Like if you can't handle, I know, an entire oh, no. season NCAA. Like how's he going to handle the physical rigors of playing in the NBA? I hate to make the comparison, but doesn't it kind of remind you since they didn't make the tournament of Markel Fultz? Have you, did you watch Markel Fultz's video today? His jump shot looks substantially better. They actually might get him back not. in the playoffs. You never know with Markel Fultz. Um, kind of going into like like sleepers, especially with the Raptors having a pretty high pick in the second round. There's a few guys that kind of come to mind for me personally that I think would be good pieces. Um, obviously, the Raptors are known for their depth, so there's not too many holes to fill. I think it's a matter of just getting like a really good low post presence, or, like a really good three point shooter, guys you can bring off the bench, guys who are specialists in certain aspects of the game. And the first guy that comes to mind is Jonte Porter, who's actually Michael Porter Jr.'s brother, also playing for Missouri Tigers. Six foot eleven power forward, two hundred forty pounds, averaging ten points per game, seven rebounds. Uh, 2.2 assists, but he's a great three-point shooter. You know, he's not going to ever develop, I think, and do, like, a competent defensive player. But, like, when it comes to upside, like, having a big that can come off the bench and, like, drain that three-pointer is so pivotal in, like, the modern iteration of the game, especially for the Raptors right now, and that guy would just be a great addition to the team. You don't want uh, Grayson Allen, your boy? You think, you're speaking of, like, white sharpshooters, there's a guy, your boy, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Sviatslav Miachalik. Who? Uh, yeah, <laughs> see, he plays for Kansas, though, so he's your guy. <laughs> oh, but he, the guy's come back from the injury, yeah. So, for us, uh, 
Six foot eight, two hundred five pound shooting guard from Cherkasse, Ukraine. Big hands, tremendous athlete, can finish above the rim. He's very explosive and quick with his hand-eye coordination. That's off the charts. Like physically, he kind of like reminds me of like a young Manu Ginobili. Um, he's also a very, very competent three-point shooter. Currently shooting forty-five percent from the three-point line to go with fifteen point five points per game, four rebounds. He's another like three-point specialist that we can bring off the bench. Um, he's a guy that's probably going to fall to the second round as well. And my third guy is my favorite player. And if he falls to the Raptors, I would love for him to get him. Is uh, is Keita Bates Diop from Ohio State? Um, six foot seven, two hundred thirty-five pound swingman. Um, Nineteen point five points per game, nine rebounds, shooting forty-eight percent from the field. He's just a solid perimeter player has a lot of size multi-position defender um, and again like like who do we draft like we have we don't have any like holes to fill That's like my it's question. really weird for me to speculate who the Raptors would take but those are the guys that, I guess do make sense on paper for me yeah I don't know for the Raptors it's tough because like you just said I guess a small forward you know, to sort of slot in for Powell if we end up trading him or something like that. Like, like a 3 upside guard? guy. You, can, you, can, you can't have too many of those guys. Right? For me, you're almost drafting someone to develop them. I hate to say it because of the Bruno experiment, mm-hmm. but you're going to put them in the G League for a bit. Like, There's not really going to be a spot on the roster right away for this person or mm-hmm. minutes. They're going to have to develop, in the G- which is not a bad thing because now we've seen it successfully done with Fred um, Siakam and Pirtle, right? Mm-hmm. So, if anything, maybe a, a small forward. I, I would say sort of the French import, uh, Killian Tillet on uh, Gonzaga. He, he's a sophomore. He's 6'10", you know. He's shooting 50% from the three-point range. That would be sort of exactly what the Raptors like, call like the Kyle Kuzma in last year's draft. Yeah, exactly. Like a 3 and D. An absolutely, you know, prototypical 3 and D. And I don't know. I think that's the type of player the Raptors would, would benefit from simply because, you know, OG and Anubi is not bad to have two of them. And we are back for the fourth quarter interview. This is the sport doctor, Greg Urashadis, along with my good buddy here, Jovan. Hey, and we are joined once again. Follow-up interview with Adil Sahib Zada, assistant coach of the Ryerson Rams, who I think we should be congratulating because the Rams, they had a very, very successful campaign this past weekend in Halifax at the U Sports Final Eight. Hey, this is a big fucking deal, brother. This is (laughs) repping Toronto. uh, I mean, I live right beside Ryerson. I am proud as hell. Uh, (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, it's take take us through the the weekend. I know our our listeners might not be too informed of it, but take us (laughs) through the weekend, man. Hey. So before we start, uh, give us a breakdown. What's the final eight? Like, what's this all about? So this is our version of our Ma- March Madness. Um, this is the Canadian version of our March Madness. Uh, the top eight teams from the CIS or the U Sports rebranded to the U Sports um, get a chance to move on and play uh, in Halifax. Every year the site changes, but this year it was in Halifax. And the way it's decided, I think there's two from Canada West. One, one from Quebec, one, uh, two from Ontario, the winners and the, um, uh, the finalists, uh, one from the AUS, the Atlantic Conference, 
uh, one which is a bid. Uh, so you know, let's say a team loses in the semifinals. Uh, this year was Brock. They lost in the semifinals to us, uh, but they had a great season. Uh, they were ranked in the top five for most part of the year. Uh, and then the last one is the host. This year, the host was Acadia. So those were the top eight teams uh, representing uh, this weekend in Halifax. Oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. Where, so, hey, where were you guys ranked? We were ranked fifth. Going into the tournament? Going into the tournament, mm, yeah. Okay. So we drew a tough, gritty Alberta squad that didn't lose a lot of games. They were top five for the most part uh, the whole year. Um I think we we just shot the ball really well. We shot a tournament record, if I, you know, unofficially, I might be wrong, but we shot a tournament record 23s that we made, uh, 24, 44. You know, for the really entire high. tournament. Exactly. No, wow. for that game, just, just one for game. For that game. For that game, 24, 44. And we and shot 44 threes the first game wow. against Alberta, and we made 20. Uh, so we ended up winning by, you know, a comfortable margin, I think 25. Um, so it was good. Positive vibes going into the next matchup. Yeah, and that, that's which, the next game. And, and and that was against Carlton, correct? Carlton, Carlton. And, and they're and they're you know for again for our listeners that don't know, if you want to go to university and play ball in Canada, like that's the school. Is that the, that's the cream of the crop? Yeah, Pretty am I much. right? It's been it's, it's been, been like that. I'm not sure if it's like that anymore. Now they're um, gonna have to they're, they're gonna have to go back and you know, check their game plan now. 100. percent You know, there's you know. There's rising, you know, the bas- the game of basketball in Canada is growing. Um, you know, Coach Dave Smart, I have tremendous respect for him. You know, year in, year out, to be able to win seven consecutive national championships is a testament to the work he's done, the work he's putting in. and, and But watch the, the throne, brother. Oh, watch uh, the throne, obviously, right? Obviously. There's young, hungry coaches exactly, and programs like exactly. yourself coming right up. So, exactly. sorry to interrupt. So, tell us a little bit about this game. Huge so, Carlton, Carlton's won last seven national championships, last 13 or 15 wow. national championships. And it's not just a Canadian story. It's not, you know, they're not making history just in Canada. They're making history worldwide. Like, this is a... Internationally you know, international, known. It's an internationally renowned program, you know, Um so you know, to, it's like American teams like Alabama, which is in the NCAA tournament. They came up to Carlton this year and they lost by 13 points. Hmm. Providence, which is the number four seed in the NCAA tournament, this year was pretty high seed. Uh, Carlton went to Providence in Providence, played with their rules and beat them by 20 this year. So I wow. mean, wow, like. So they're they're the real they're, deal. They're the real deal. Yeah, they're good. Like you know, the it's not just you know it's a great it's a testament to the coach with the work he puts in with his players in the mm-hmm. summertime. But mm-hmm. it's also a testament to you know the growth of Canadian basketball. It's a mm-hmm. testament to the talent that's talent, available in yep. Canada. It's hundred percent. Like every yeah. player at Carlton is from uh, yeah. to, uh, in Canada. Can you speak to the uh, style of play that uh, Carlton uses? Like, w- what makes them so special and separates them from the rest of the competition that is So, out there? Carlton, I think there's three things that really separate Carlton from anyone else. Is one, commitment to guarding the ball, like one-on-one defense. They're so relentless and committed to um, dictating, and, and dictating how you're going to play, mm. um, you know, uh, they're funneling you to the weak side um, and then their understanding uh, their nuanced understanding of you know exploiting the mid-ball screen situations you know putting shooters in mid-ball scenarios popping shooters diving bigs you know it seems really simple X and O basketball but just their understanding of you know being able to execute it at a very high level consistently day in day out is really refreshing to see 
uh, the third thing that I think makes them really special is the the culture that they've kind of you know built at Carlton. Um, the culture of excellence, the culture of um, accountability, the Success. culture of you know uh, professionalism, excellence, um, and the culture of like, hey, winning. Yeah. You know, you know the psyche is built like there's so much pressure as like Spurs ask. Yeah, there's so much pressure to perform at Carlton, especially if you're a guard. Um, you know, I guess you know it. It, it overwhelms. It overwhelms a lot of people, and but a lot of people perform. So going into that game against Carlton, they were undefeated. Yeah, I think twenty-eight and zero up to that point. Yeah, twenty-six and zero. Twenty-six and zero. Yeah. What was your um, record? And your guys' record? Yeah. What was your guys' record? I think ours was including playoffs: seventeen six, twenty-seven, twenty, twenty-one and seven. Going not, into that not game, not bad either. No? Yeah. no, that's pretty good. Obviously, not twenty six and zero, but yeah, exactly. So, uh, what were the things that you guys did that uh, led to your guys' ultimate victory against Carlton? I think the strategy was really simple. You can't allow, like, as a as a coach, you can't allow, you know, someone else. You can't try to adjust to someone else's game plan. It's you got to be the protagonist. You got to um, attack them. Yeah. You know, defensively and offensively. Instead of them picking you up, it's like, hey, we're gonna attack attack you you know adjust to what we're doing yeah you know picking them up full court you know conventionally teams are just dropping down and waiting for Carlton to attack them and I'm not sure if that's the right way to they were giving them too much respect exactly exactly so you know getting you know we we got some really yeah exactly and then just having a player like Manny Duressa who just who has the ability the uncanny ability to just win games by himself you know always helps (laughs) right um you know, you Manny. Need the talent, right? You need the talent. Yeah, Players Manny, play, coaches coach. Oh, hundred percent. Manny, you know, you know, he had twenty eight points. He's, I think, he was ten for seventeen from the field. You know, efficient scoring night. But what was more impressive about Manny was actually, um, he got the guys that Carlton relies on. You know, as defensive stoppers in foul trouble. I think one of them fouled out. The other one had four fouls. So nine fouls between the two of them. Mm. Game so, yeah. so that's a game changer. You know, it, it, it interferes with their ability, disrupts their ability to put continuous ball pressure, disrupts their ability to play more aggressive and physical, you know, because now you're like, hey, I have, you know, five, six fouls. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. playing with three, four, five fouls. You know, mentally you're, you're, you know, performing at a different level. So I think that's probably, uh, that, that, that probably helped us a lot more than anything. Uh, just Manny's ability to just get in the paint, attack the paint, um, and just put so much pressure on them, uh, on their recovery, on their help side, um, that you know it opened up the floor for everyone else to perform. So you made them play your game, didn't oh, settle for their game. Hundred percent. We made them play the Toronto, you know, basketball. Nice, nice. I love that. Yeah. And then once that final buzzer went off, how was the celebration? What were you, what was your guys' uh, attitude? I think after I that? think it would have been crazier if Coach Rana allowed it. But Coach Rana, you know, there's like 30 seconds left in the game. He turned to the bench. None of you guys effing get up. And he's like, this, we're not done yet. You know, mm-hmm. this is just one game. We got one more to go. I love that. Right. Amazing. You know, we should expect to be this caught. Is and this is not to do. This is not a celebration. You know, we're expected to go in and beat them. We're the only team that's been caught in the last three years. Every year consistent at least once. Wow. Three years ago, we beat them twice. Last year, we beat them twice. And this year, we beat them once. Last year was in the OUA finals, right? OUA finals. And I think once in the regular season. Actually, you know, last year we only beat them once. So we played them three times. We beat them in the OU finals, lost in the national championship game. How do you account for that? 
How, how do you do account I? for for that? Uh, is it just matchups? Is it coaching? How do you account for the for the fact that you guys have been sort of the kryptonite for this powerhouse? You know, a, a lot of credit goes to Coach Rainer. You know, he's had an incredible year this year. He's it's, becoming a legend. Oh, 100% legend in Canadian basketball. You know, first Canadian coach to ever win a national, cha- I mean, a, a World Cup, mm. World Cup championship at any level. Right, whether it's at the men's level under 19, under 17, 16, you know, doing that this year, be you know, over overthrowing, you know, John Calipari and yeah. the heavyweight favorites of Team USA in the semifinals of FIBA Americas earlier big. this year, uh, FIBA Worlds in uh, Cairo, Egypt earlier this year, um, and then going to beat Carlton in the semifinals is a testament to the amount he's learned, uh, to the amount, you know, I think his game management, player management. You know, execution. You could kind of see glimpses of it uh, when um, you know we're down six with 40 seconds left. Somehow come back to tie the game, and you know only to lose by two in the finals to Calgary. Um, is just a testament to you know his knowledge and his ability to you know execute at you know at highly sensitive times. Um, the mental fortitude. Oh, 100%. Like you say, to turn to your team. And I, as a coach, I struggle with this myself. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Oh, yeah, Dwayne exactly. Casey's great at this, right? In yeah. the Jack Armstrong interview, he goes, you know, steady Eddie, mm-hmm. right? So to have the discipline in that moment to turn around and kind of be like, don't over-celebrate. Keep yourselves mentally checked in, yeah. right? Maybe when the door closes in, in the locker room, yeah. right? But and, 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 and the great part about Coach Ryan, like people don't realize is how humble he is. He's really down to mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really private. He's to himself. Um, you know, he's just, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure working for him. You know, the amount I've learned is... is well, it sounds like a man you could follow into into battle. But so, you I mean, you, you mentioned it there. Kind of a, a, a two-point loss yeah. in the CIS championships. And uh, look, I... It's a beautiful I've, end to a Cinderella yeah. story. I'm not sure if, you know... Um, can can you take us through that game a bit? So I think once we beat Carlton, I mean, obviously we're a little bit giddy, you know, excited about, hey, we just, you know, beat Carlton, but we didn't really understand how much of an emotional, physical, and mental fatigue it had on us. You know, obviously, you know, literally a 20-hour turnaround is not healthy at this level. Mm-hmm. A 40-minute emotional affair with Carlton, you know, and especially if you come out victorious, isn't, you know, isn't healthy for anybody. You know, it taxes your legs, taxes you emotionally, taxes you mentally. And for us to get up the next day and be mentally locked in for our film shoot sessions, you know, on-court stuff, and then to get to the game and only to, you know, you know, I think, you know, obviously we could say so many different things, you know, this is part of our game plan and whatever. But, you know, it was written. You know, at the end of the day, this, this script has been already written. You know, Calgary was destined to win this game. You know, Calgary, uh, you know, it's, a t- it's nothing, not to take anything away from Calgary. I think, you know, they had a great season. They rightfully so the number two team all year. They were um, up there all year. Eh? All year. Yeah. They won the Canada West as underdog. They beat the heavy favorites, Alberta, in the finals. And then uh, they came to the national championship. First game, they were playing Brock. Brock was also top five all year. Brock beat them by 12 earlier in the preseason. So it was like, you know, them coming out victorious in that first game was more impressive than anything it was it spoke to their willpower you know one of their better players also fouled out and they still hung in together and figured out a way to beat a tough gritty scrappy brock 
Badges squad, and then they beat McGill the next day. McGill they kind of blew him out, but McGill's it's, McGill's no pushover. They're mm-hmm. they're a pretty good team. They, I think they've been to the national championships four out of the last five years. Uh, so another you know nationally prominent program, uh, and then to play us to play like a team from Toronto with mostly Toronto kids. Uh, the style of play that we have, you know, high pace, fast pace, matching it and mm-hmm. kind of. You know, making us play their game, their playing style. You know, it was it was good, man. Like, but I, I, as much as I want to make excuses for ourselves, I think Calgary also had an equally tougher road that we did. I I really like that because so often, you know, you talk to coaches or players, and you could easily have said, you know what, we were so up after the Carlton game, we thought we had it, and that's why Coach Ron had bet told those guys to sit because he yeah, knows exactly. what can happen if you get too up, right? Hundred percent. But you come back here and you say you know what, that team from Calgary, they just played really, really well, and they were hot at the right time. 100%. Right? So, uh, you know, that speaks to the maturity of your coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's next now after this tournament for the for the team? There's some downtime. So I think, obviously, they, 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 they need some downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, they need, they need to recuperate, rejuvenate their mental and emotional energy. Catch up on some school, maybe. I catch up on school 100%, <laughs> you know, miss about a week of school. You yeah, know, we forget, yeah, you yeah. know, right now I'm forgetting that these are student athletes. Student I'm athletes. forgetting my days. You know, they're students first, athletes second. Um, so missing a week worth of school and then the week before we, were, we had the OU championships. So missing two weeks of school is not easy to catch up in on in university. Easy in high school, but not in university. It's a mm-hmm, different, mm-hmm. you know, different fight. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Obviously, you spoke to uh, about Manny Deressa being, you know, the elite level player that he is, and how you know he has the ability to, uh, you know, take a game in under in, into his own power and take over and and hit game winning shots and all that stuff. So he's obviously a fifth year guy, and this is his last year. Um, can you talk about Manny Deressa and his road to Ryerson and uh, what kind of things he has going for him going forward after this year? I actually want to point out, um, like, I wanted to share a funny story actually with Manny how he came to Ryerson. Um, I think after two, he played two years Division One basketball at Tennessee Tech, um, and then he was working out back then. We had coach, coach PT Patrick Tatham. He's now the head coach at McMaster University. He was the lead assistant at that time, and he was just coming out, working out every single day, bothering Coach PT. Hey, I might be coming to Ryerson. I want to work out so every day, mm-hmm. working out, working out. And I think one day, Rana was kind of pissed off. He's like, you know, he's not making a decision. He's not telling if he's coming or not. So I think Rana just went to him, listen, either you're fucking coming or you're not. You just got to tell me before you yeah. come back. Yeah. So uh, Manny was kind of caught off guard. And a week later, he sends Coach Rana a text, hey, I'm coming. <laughs> so I think that's kind of really how he actually came to Ryerson. So, mm. you know, his start was pretty interesting. Uh, first year, he helped us win win the OU championship. We, lo- we won the bronze medal at the Nationals the first year he was here. The second year, last year, we uh, he was the uh, OU player of the game and OU player, OU uh, tournament MVP for the Final Four. Um, he helped us, you know, uh, defeat Carlton uh, in the OU Finals and then the national championship game. You know, he was the guy that kind of brought us back to the game. Um, you know, we ended up losing by six or seven last year in the national championship game. And this year, you know, He's had a 55, 50 point game. Uh, he's Ooh, second wow. highest, you know, he had the uh, highest point scored this year in the uh, CIS, uh, second highest any time in, in, at Carl, I mean, at Ryerson. 
Uh, I think the guy that holds the record is Alex Beeson, 52 points. He has a second uh, highest wow. scoring game. He had 41, including a, a you know, game-tying three to send the game to overtime against Ottawa. Wow. Um, 41 points, uh, countless 30-point games, and then you know, averaged 28 points in the national championships. Nice. So, I mean, like, this guy had an incredible run, you know. Um, you know, he's got, he's going to have, you know, a list of options, list of teams, you know, recruiting him, you know, f- at all levels. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, works his way into a summer league opportunity to, you know, training camp opportunity, you know. You know, he's, he's done look, a lot. I look at a guy like Kazakin from Carlton last year who played on the Raptors 905 uh, this season that we're going through right now. Do you see something like that happening with him? I think a little bit more than that. Like, uh, not, not, not to take anything away from Kazakin. He's, he was an incredible player and everything. But just kind of seeing what Manny's been able to do. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Manny. You know, I'm, I wish him well. You know, I think he's got tremendous potential. He's a great, great person, great role model. Do you think he has draft stock? And he, he can't stock? be he's not draft eligible just because um he played five years uh, i think you're draft eligible un- up until your fourth year okay so real fourth year i also know that he's done some work in the community a lot of work a lot of he, work. he actually works at the same community center that i do in okay. the neighborhood downtown so yeah. i know he's done some work with the kids yeah. um but i digress we're talking about well, the next steps for that young man professionally yeah do yeah. you see does he have pro potential oh, I mean, there's lots of places you can play basketball he'll, man. he'll play pro now when I'm saying pro I'm thinking NBA like I think he's got NBA potential mm-hmm. like I think he's like a fringe prospect um, I wouldn't be surprised like you know if he you know gets a chance um, but what is Roby at the next level because I know he's kind of an undersized shooter shooting guard he's about 6'4 he's not that undersized but I think he's, he's he could play the point okay. so um, you know I think Combo he's got guard? a chance He's got a chance to be a combo guard, yeah. Okay. Nice, nice. He played the combo guard first this year. He was a point guard many times. Yeah. Uh, so not only did you guys have Manny Deressa, but there was also another catalyst on your team, JV Mukamo. Yeah, yeah. Can you speak to that guy for a bit? You know, he, he's he's interesting, like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, with the length and athleticism that he possesses. Um, it's, it's, it's scary, but he's had a really up-and-down year. You know, some games 0, 3, 5, 10, 25, 1877 um but then it was nice to see him kind of you know come together at the national championships at the you know be more consistent especially against uh, Calgary and Carlton uh he had like some big time you know big time three big time putback layup to really put the game away when Carlton was making a huge run and then in the you know finals scoring 19 points complimenting wow. Manny yeah. Um, you know, it just kind of was. Ha- I was happy to, you know, see him put it all together. So is he returning next year, or is he done? He's as well? returning for one more year. Okay, perfect. So perfect. we lose Manny Duressa, Adam Vol, and Roshan Roberts this year. So we lose three guys, and then we return a lot of guys. But that, you know, that's the process, right? Mm-hmm. Especially I mean, the be- the benefits are that if you're building a program, you can sort of see these things ahead of time. Yeah. So one thing I you know, always try to do with my soccer program, and we've managed to be competitive and develop players, but you yeah. got to get the young guys time. you got to see. And, and, and Coach Ryan is the best at that. He's not rebuilding. He's, gonna, he's reloading next year. Exactly. <laughs> he's not rebuilding. Yeah, we don't rebuild. We reload. Well, but this, it seems like Ryerson, you know, you're telling me about a uh, 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 third place finish at the CIS a few years ago. Yeah. You're telling me that you're competitive with this dominant powerhouse 
I think Ryerson has arrived nationally. Oh, and 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 I agree. you know, if if anybody doesn't know, now they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's great for the city of basketball. Sorry, right, it's great for the city of Toronto, and it's great for the basketball community in Toronto. Um, you know, I'm 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 getting the wave here from our from our boss and producer Brandon. But I wanted to give you the last segment. Um, anything else that 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 you want our fans to, all seven of them, to to uh, <laughs> take from this? Because I know this is going to get some play around the basketball community here in Toronto. I think uh, I would say more to the kids is like see that the level of competition, the growth of Canadian basketball, um, it's here. Like. In the next couple of years, you'll have kids going from the youth sports level to the NBA. You know, I think we got a guy, um, his name is um, Tano Nagom, a 7-2, um, big, kind of got a chance to be a stretch four. Hmm. Um, intriguing, uh, you know, athlete, intriguing skill set, um, you know, some versatility. Uh, he might have a chance, you know, in the next two, three years to hear his name at the NBA and I think that'd be a game changer and I think Carlton got a couple guys like that so you know kids you know don't look down on your team uh, you know in, on basketball in Canada especially at the university level you know know that you know you'd be surprised a lot of kids that decide to stay home and they, they're surprised by you know how much attention to detail there is how much more competitiveness especially in the OU and in Ontario there is how much parity there is starting to become in this league uh, how much great coaching there is, how much more potential to go pro there is. And, and, and best of all, like two things that separates Canadian basketball from American basketball is the quality of education mm-hmm. and, you know, living in an inclusive, you know, or more... Um, Cosmopolitan society, baby. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I you love know, it. More That's amazing. And you know what? We're, we're going to end it right there. This is the fourth quarter, Toronto Basketball Matters. I'm going to hand it over to Brandon. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Big thanks to Coach Adil Sahibzada for being on the show with us today. Another big thanks to our listeners. We wouldn't have made it to 40 without you guys. Again, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio app. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week.